Welcome to the Willie Jackson Experiment. I'm your host, D1, the only Willie Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. All right, guys. Um, I'm doing a special show for uh, Labor Day. It's kind of a thing that I kind of mess around with a lot. Um, actually, you guys might know. I'm actually a non-union electrician, and um, I don't really feel that there's really any difference. I feel like whether you're union or non-union, I feel like we're all brothers, and I feel like we need to do whatever it takes to, you know, put food on our family. So um, that's what I try to do, and, uh, you know, I went through the IEC Rocky Mountain program for my schooling and a lot of those people a lot of the teachers and stuff like that have actually left the union to go be on the non-union side and and be teachers and stuff so i feel it's a pretty good program um you know some of my mentors uh like ryan jackson are um you know wrote the fourth year curriculum and so i feel we have a lot of good knowledge on our side and and i don't want to discredit the union side, I, I think it's great. I I think a little bit of their politics is probably why I wouldn't want to be over on that side just because there's so much like bickering and um, arguing over like what tools you can bring and what tools you can use. And, you know, I've, I've heard from some of my buddies, a lot of buddies that are in the over at Local 68. And, uh, you know they're like oh yeah you can only bring certain wrenches or else you break down conditions and i'm just like okay <laughs> well glad i'm not over there but um i put together some audio um just kind of on the whole thing of labor unions a lot of this stuff i don't really know and um i actually have um a few groups i have a, a group where it's union versus non-union electricians and basically you can just go over there and um talk crap and post memes and just have fun and nobody gets mad or gets kicked out of there for talking about union versus non-union and um there's there's great stuff on both sides i mean there's great union guys i mean there's some really smart union guys i mean i've been running this page called nat king code and uh i've been posting questions up in the groups and and it's cool because it helps people study and you know get their license but I do throw some certain questions out there that are what people call like the code minimum. And so it's that's been always been like a really hot button topic when you start talking about, well, the code minimum is is hack, you know, and I don't really agree with that. You know, it's it's like, OK, do you uh, install titanium boxes? No, you don't You install the regular four square box like they, you know, you don't use a. Um, you know anything that is above the code on every install so when, if you sit there and say you exceed the code minimum all the time you're actually lying so that, that's kind of where we joke around a little bit and um, I feel that the I've seen really awesome installs from union guys and i've seen really awesome installs from non-union guys i've seen hacks on both sides of the fence so i to sit there and say that your pride in work is way better just because you're on one other side or you're on the new union side or you're on the non-union side whatever i just i ain't buying it so um i just wanted to put together some audio and and i do thank the union for my high wage i do thank the union for um you know having a day off i guess but there's a lot of things that the union didn't do and i think there's a lot of things that the union's getting themselves pushed out of the market i mean right now they said they're at like six percent of the skilled labor market so that's probably not really good numbers and then i know um on the colorado state electrical board um, there's a majority of union members on the board. So, you know, I encourage uh, more non-union people to try to step in there and um, get added to the board and try to represent. Um, you know, that's really the whole point behind union. Um, you know, they're uh, uh, trying to 
make everything fair for everyone so i feel that in that fairness they should be wanting to allow us to have a choice on both sides so hope you enjoy this show and um i'll see you guys on the flip side later do you think that general Patton was woke i don't think so what do you think mike mike was he woke i don't think so i don't think he was too woke 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 you know what woke means it means you're a loser woke 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 everything woke turns to shit this is a sick culture and our country's a disaster and it's going to die before your very eyes Women's soccer team was supposed to easily win, but they went woke. The one with the purple hair, she didn't play too well. She went woke. Take a look, everything goes bad, but it's true about woke. Do you think that General Patton was woke? It's crazy. It's crazy. I've never seen, I've never seen anything so stupid in my life. Woke, 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 woke. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Woke, 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 woke. Everything woke turns to shit. Our country was so respected. Nobody was going to mess with us. And then this clown, he got in office, sort of like the captain of a ship. Let's jump off first before the passengers. I'm getting the hell out of here. I could just see this, the leadership of the Taliban standing there. Somebody walking up, sir, the soldiers have left. It's crazy, it's crazy. I've never seen, I've never seen anything so stupid in my life. Woke, 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 woke. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Woke, 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 woke. Everything woke turns to shit. I believe totally in your freedoms. I do. You gotta do what you have to do. But I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. It's crazy. It's crazy. I've never seen. I've never seen anything so stupid in my life. Woke, 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 woke. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Woke, 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 woke. Everything woke. People were trapped in the subways, but heroic men and women of the New York Fire Department rescued all of them. They were, they were trapped. Well spoken, sir. I can't uh, think of anyone better to lead this operation than than uh, uh, Deanne uh, Criswell of, uh, of FEMA. We're ready to respond. Administrator Griswell, Administrator Griswell, uh, the FEMA director is on, uh, uh, FEMA director Criswell, she, she's on, and uh, the Administrator Griswell and her team at FEMA. Holy shit! In fact, our FEMA director, administrator, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Deanna Griswell. That's unbelievable. What we're looking for today is the Griswold. The Griswold. 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 Griswold family Christmas tree. not just that I've added more jobs than any first-year president, in, any, in the first year of any president. I, I, I feel tongue-tied and a little headachey. I fall apart here. What we are doing is extraordinary. And you have to think of the, uh, all they're doing, thanks to the people. And I want to make sure that we're ready to surge all the response capacity, capability that we have to deal with whatever comes next. Wow. The FAA to authorize the use of surveillance drones to assist Ida's damage, to assess Ida's damage. There's help you can qualify for right away. I've talked, uh, I've tasked my senior advisor, Cedric Richmond. Oh, wow. Creating, the experts point out, millions of jobs and building windmills and solar panels all around the country and transferring that energy 
transmitted it to parts that don't have that capacity. Oh my God. Don't agree with me. It just pisses me off more. We have with us tonight, Mr. G, Juan Gonzalez, one of the baddest Latinos you'll ever meet out there. He's a seven-footer chopped in half, and uh, he's got the attitude uh, kind of like me, kind of like Willie Jackerson, you know. So uh, uh, how you doing tonight here, Juan? Uh, and uh, I think we're going to do the topic on union versus non-union uh see see what we can tear up uh just for labor day you know since they gave us that extra day of a day off this weekend well bill uh thanks for having me on your show uh you know like you introduced me my name is juan gonzalez i've been uh an admin on a few of the online groups by way of dan barnford matthew hermanson and some others for about five years now nice uh interesting thing about me is when people ask me to describe myself you know i'm a seven footer of a latino hillbilly chopped in half at three <laughs> and a half feet <laughs> you know so actually I'm a little taller than that but yeah that, that's the way i describe myself nice. uh and and you know uh basically my thirst for knowledge far exceeds my limitations you know uh dude I, I every that. time every time i see your comments i'm just like where did this dude come from? I'm like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> dude, you're like shot out of a cannon when uh, it's almost like you uh, are, are some kind of like poet or something. And I'm like, I'm no, like, I, dude, I, I, I do. I, I do write poetry. Bill. Wow. I do write wow. Poetry. Some of the, some of the brothers do know about it. I mean, I, I, most of my poetry is uh, kind of philosophical in nature, you know? Oh, dude, that's nice. I have a collection of about 15, 20 poems now that I'm trying to work with the writers and poets guild of America to get published. But I, I did write one a few years ago while I was in mechatronic school out in Pennsylvania titled uh, Electrifying. Uh, I believe it's still on some of the uh, on some of the groups. I would have to find it for you. Well, you uh, know that uh, some of the groups have been shut down, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, but uh, the groups where I posted it in and some of the groups that I still belong to are still uh, alive and kicking. Nice. So, uh, oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. So I, 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 I do have that poem going around, you know, yeah, electrifying. Nice. And I remember uh, part of the first stanza I used to say, a volt is a joke, so to speak. Current can kill at its peak. And, you know, I, I don't remember the rest of the words. It was a while back. Wow. But uh, if I can That's get cool. it for a future session, I'll bring it to you, and you can read it aloud to the audience. You know, dude, so. that that'd be awesome. Well, we got a lot of electricians uh, listening tonight, and they're all um, a lot of times they're young electricians, but it doesn't matter um, to to me or you or anybody. You know, whether you're union or you're non-union, we don't care. And I'm doing this episode because I want for us to kind of speak about you know, like the differences between like the union, non-union, I really don't care personally. I mean, I came up through the IEC Rocky Mountain. I came up through a non-union program and uh, actually Ryan Jackson wrote the fourth year curriculum for um, the, my school and and I never even knew. I, you know, I went through wow. it and I had no idea. But I mean, Ryan's uh, been a really big, mentor to me as far as I really look up to him um I think we kind of you know kind of feed back off each other I'll do a thing and then he'll say oh that's a good idea and then he'll do something and then I'll you know that's a good idea but you know it's it's the whole thing that we're trying to like bring ourselves up as a as a whole as an industry as a trade as a trade well here, here's the thing you know we have something in common Ryan Jackson uh, you know, I'm 61 years old. Though. I mean, I've been around. Dude, I don't have an autographed Ryan Jackson book, so I can't even but, talk uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's one of the things. Ryan has been a mentor to me for the uh -huh. last uh, five, six years or so. Brian Rock and some others. But uh, as a matter of fact, I, I've been getting tied into some of the code-making panel uh, members, you know, people in good standing. Uh, I have people like Dean Austin, uh, uh, Corey Hannis, and, and, awesome. and uh, awesome. Derek Vickstall. These guys think yeah. the world of me in terms of uh, what uh, I kind of bring to the table, even though I consider myself, you guys, you guys, all of you guys, including yourself, 
or galaxies ahead of me, you know. So I feel uh, nah, I I don't feel that that's a uh, I don't feel that's a certain thing. I mean, I made the group Electrical Code Ninjas, and you are one of the Code Ninjas. You are in. I'm just letting you know right now, you are a ninja. So I mean, whatever I have to do, I'll send you a sticker or something. But you thank are a Code you, Ninja. You, you are one of the uh, Code Ninja members. And I mean, uh, with me in terms of what you say, and, 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 and pardon me for kind of interrupting you, uh, you know, the, the union, non-union thing, as well as uh, some of the young apprentices. Well, you know, these are two topics that I'm passionate about. Uh, let me start first by the, uh, by the young apprentices out there, you know, the, the, the young brothers coming up in the trade. Um, you know, I wish there was more... Uh, kind of a, a proactive initiative a lot of these young brothers you know they go through apprenticeship programs and whatnot and basically they learn the basics but we need a follow-up program on this you know some of these young brothers don't really have a clue as to a career path development program and what i say is you know what does this brother want to be does this young brother want to be a residential wireman does he want to be a commercial electrician does he want to be industrial and within these particular general uh, specialties, you know, what does this brother want to focus on? He wants to be a, a pipe bender. You know, he wants to be known as someone who can bend pipe excellent uh, with the best of them. You know, he wants to be known as a troubleshooter. He wants to be known as someone who can, uh, you know, we got POE lighting systems now, you know. Dude, I mean, no, that, that speaks volumes right there because... Um... That you know, I had uh, one of my buddies I grew up with, and he wanted to make the most amount of money he could at the shortest amount of time, and he's like, "I'm gonna go be an RW," and I'm like, "Okay, be an RW." Well, now here he is, you know, 20 years later, or whatever, still making low money because he wanted to just well, take the shortest way possible. So you you have to think thing, about though. that. Here's the thing, uh, I, I hear that a lot. You know, I have a I have a few people who have become mechanical and electrical engineers by way of my mentorship and by way of, uh, see, here's a guy like me, 61 years old. You know, I've had a kind of a, a tragic comedy uh, love affair with the electrical trade, you know, basically I butted heads with my dad a lot. I, I was an employee to my dad for many years. Mm -hmm. My dad was a small independent contractor in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a hard man. He was a hard man on us. He was demanding and I butted heads with him and I came on and off the trade well he made you a great sparky so I'll, I'll give you that one yeah yeah well here's the thing you know uh, I, I hear consistently you know I've mentored a few guys here's a guy like me 61 years old I'm not licensed uh, some guys by my my mentorship have bypassed me in terms of uh, what they have attained in terms of uh, academic titles but they always remember I got my start by way of Mr. G's mentorship. And, and that, oh, you know, makes ass. my day. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm only as good as the people that I mentor. My, my, my thing is my career is coming to a close in another four or five years. Yeah. Um, the best thing that I can leave behind as a legacy is that when I leave, when I leave this trade and hopefully I can contribute to, uh, to this trade in, in other manners, is that when I leave, I can leave behind me a group of young electricians who are coming to the way of being team leads, uh, project managers, foremen, superintendents. But I am going to leave with a smile on my face knowing that they were trained by one of the best. And I don't mean to brag about myself in that light. Dude, you're not bragging. What The whole reason you're leaving with the smile on your face is because Willie Jackerson just made you laugh so hard, you know? Um, but... but uh, you know, like the number one thing that I love about this is I've been teaching apprentices kind of almost like uh, it's really hard to explain, but it's basically like ruling out the things that aren't right. So I feel Definitely. like that's Definitely. that's always the way that I was taught was like, OK, so here's what you have. This is what you had to wire. And it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's this, for sure, for sure this is this. So it's it's basically process elimination. 
you know, so, and, and, and you're almost, you're almost teaching guys like common sense. You're like, you don't need to go look at the prints. You don't need to go look at all this stuff. And, and so I do like the process elimination when I go do like a job takeoff and I look at everything and I say, you know what? I was like, okay, here's what the prints say. Here's what's on the job. So these two things are definitely wrong. You know, right, right. And then I send out an RFI and everything, and then they're like, "Please look at uh, sheet E two, and it shows you the wrong thing right there." You know, or whatever. Like they they'll like try to make well, you see, look the, stupid, the, the, the and re- it's totally the wrong. For, the reason for that, Bill, is people. You know, we're living in an era where people have lost the capability of. of having independent, logical, critical thinking. Right. See, if somebody tells me the engineer designed it, a lot of people are under the assumption that the engineer is not to be questioned. Right. But here is... Here, or here the is inspector. The the right. They're, they're just as human as I am, and yep. none of us are infallible. You yep. know? But here's, here's a bigger issue. You know, you, tell, you mentioned about young brothers coming into the trade and wanting to make the biggest amount of money in the least amount of time. Here's what I say to that. Learn to fail so that you can succeed. Learn to fail so that you can succeed. Basically, if you kind of make an analogy of uh, somebody writing with a feather in a piece of paper that's so light, your strokes have to be as though you were writing on thin air. So too with electrical, you cannot, you cannot, I don't care how smart, how much of a genius you are, you cannot go out there and put two days worth of work in the electrical trade and expect to be a five-star general when you barely are a PFC somewhere out in the field learning how to carry a rifle. Well, yeah, and, and that's a big, that's a really good point. I like how you, how you mentioned that because... You know, this is this is a big thing. Like when you're joining like the union or non-union, like a lot of people think like a lot of these groups, um, they'll put out like questions and they won't even think they even have to answer the question. All they put in there is IBEW. And it's like, OK, was that, you know, like, oh, what what ampacity is a 20 amp breaker trip at? And it's like, um, you know, uh, IBEW, you know. <laughs> And it's like, wait, wait a minute. You know what I mean? But the whole thing is that uh, now all the code dogs are in there. We got Don Janeri in there. We got Ryan Jackson in there. We got, I guarantee Weedman's going to be showing up here soon. And so all them dudes, they know their shit. Uh, I guarantee Brian Rock. I, I bet the Rock's probably smelling it right now. You know, he's, he, you see what the Rock's smelling or he's smelling what the Rock is cooking. But, um, you know, the whole thing is that that dude will show up and I love it when the rock chimes in on my thing and he'll chime in on my Nat King code and he'll say, you know what, Bill? He's like, that is a freaking really good question, you know? And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. You know, and like we kind of like feed off each other, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's all about the knowledge. It's not about proving people wrong on there. We we, we need to, we need to see this trade is crying out loud for new blood this trade uh you know i I, listen brother if you come out here to new york some of the projects right now i'm working on 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 one of the most expensive projects in the history of the united states really and this project if it's not the most expensive project in the history of new york city in terms of commercial developments it has to be ranking up there i'm working at hudson yards and i'm working on one of the last buildings going up for this project we are dude didn't somebody bitch at you for freaking talking about that shit or something didn't somebody didn't somebody like complain at you for like saying something like oh oh, you can't talk about that or something yeah he was one of the guys out here but uh, i i I told him i didn't get that memo he started laughing he said mr g i was just busting your job uh yeah yeah but here's the thing um you know this trade is is crying out loud because we need new blood. But we can't get that new blood if we don't change our ways in terms of how we attract that new blood and how we 
form and develop this new blood. See, you, right. you touch on a very valid point. Uh, the one thing I got to say for union, okay, and, and, and like I said, I'm not a union guy. I have good friends on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, oh, me and, too. Uh, me as well. You know, I, I, I tried joining the union, Local 3, out here in New York a few years ago, and I have friends there. You know, I have some people who, who could have gotten me in. The problem is, you know, my age, I waited too long. At my age right now, I can barely get into a union where it's going to be a win-win situation for the union as an organization and for me in terms of retirement plans. So, you know, that, that, that yeah. becomes a moot point. But with that being said, let's look yeah, at Yeah, so how, how long would it take you to get vested? Like if you were to go get vested in the union, it'd take at least like five years, wouldn't it? No, no. They have uh, out here. They have a program now where it would take like maybe uh, guys like me. It could uh, it, it, they they would vouch for your experience. They would uh, somehow kind of validate some of that experience. But you still have to go through part of the protocol of the apprenticeship program. Uh, in my case, it would take something like two and a half years, three years. I don't okay. Know, like four or five. That sounds but about the right. The thing is, you know, with me. I'm 61, dude. I'm, I'm soon, you know, soon. My, my son tells me, my son is 25 years old. My son learned a lot from me. He learned a lot by himself by going to school, uh, which I'm proud of my son, man. My son, a couple of years ago, everybody that knows me, that knows Mr. G, knows that my son had an accident uh, post Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. My son came close to being a paraplegic, man. My son, oh, wow. and, and I was dealing with the. Uh, a slew of events in my life, you know. Wow. My mother has suffered a stroke that put her in, 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 has had her bedridden for quite a number of years. My son breaks his neck right after that. I have to travel to Puerto Rico and drop everything that I was doing up here. Uh, come back to the States, gather my life back, you know. Um, I'll have you know something, my brother. With everything that I have had to endure, and, and very few people know about this because I've kept it under wraps, by way of pride, for one, by way of privacy to my family. Uh -huh. I became homeless in the process, brother. I, in New York, I live in a Christian-based men's shelter program. Wow. Um, they've been kind enough to extend me a stay here. But as Lord would have it, you know, my wife goes through a double mastectomy by way of breast cancer. Oh, my man. wife is battling cancer right now, and whatever the insurance doesn't oh, cover, this seven-footer chopped in half has to pay out of his pocket. So, you know, my salary goes kind of uh, wiped out dude, rather consistently at the end of the week. That's, like, amazing. I mean, dude, that's – dude, you're you an see, amazing human being. Like, I mean, just let – me, let, me, let me tell you something about what came about it. You know, I mean, I've had my emotional and mental struggles with all of this, and my wife is still battling the cancer. My wife mm -hmm. is still battling the cancer. And and I wrote a poem based on that. That I know it's not the topic of this conversation, but I wrote a poem based on that because I, I I just couldn't take it anymore. And one day I decided that I needed to talk to my Lord, and I wrote a poem titled "Give Me." And and, and part of the poem goes like this: Give me the power to overcome hurdles and obstacles with resiliency and faith unmatched, that I may captivate and conquer the imposed limitations of my own disbeliefs. Oh, that's bad. Give me of the tired soldier his unwavering fortitude that I may know how to command the forward march when the battle seems all but lost in the midst of heavy thorns as my path. Give wow. me a sensibility to virtue of the wise man that I may know when to slow down and stop for a bit while listening to the voice of my soul in silent prayer renewing my faith. And when of the final hour the bell is rung that I may soar in victory with elegance and grace unseen as I return home to thee, O mightiest of lords, O oh, please give me of the fallen angel his broken wings. And wow. I wrote that as a testament to my fortitude in remaining upright while I assist my wife in battling her cancer and while my son was recovering from a car accident and nearly left him a parachute. Dude, that's, be that's, that's beautiful, man. That's, that's totally beautiful and... You know, the whole thing is I, I feel strongly that I, I don't get it. I really don't get it sometimes where I'm like, what 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 gives us this motivation? Like, what gives us this motivation to, like, go to work every day like our hair is on fire, you know? 
Oh, I mean, because that's you know, literally I, I, what I, we're doing, man. We are going to work every day like our hair is on fire. And it's not listen, because man, of the I, money. I, I, it's I'm not because of anything. I'm 61, and I go to work every day. The guys that work uh, alongside me, the guys that work under me, other tradesmen that work alongside me, uh, you know, I no longer have the strength that I've had at one point, even though I'm still pretty strong and, and, and all this. I climb heights. I put on a harness. I do this. I, I deploy pipe work. I pull circuits where you may have three or four branches of that same circuit, and I pull that circuit from point A to point Z, including the loops to the branches while I'm running the, the entire thing. And my lead man and my foreman are like, wow, you know, look at this old man. Dude, check but this out. Takes- so when they hired me on this project, I've only been on this project for like three weeks. Um, they We had 72 devices to pipe. And now, basically, my job is to go and figure out what are missing, but I think we have about four or five devices to pipe in about three weeks. And this is like in an industrial environment, so it's it's a little bit more tricky, you know. You have to right, be... Right, right, right. But, I mean, the whole biggest thing for me is that everyone's like, why are you working so hard when... You know, like the unions better when the non-unions better. Like to me, I don't, I don't really care personally. Either way, I mean, we're out, we're out there with uh, union well, hands. Well, like I said, Bill, you know, uh, just to kind of come to a closure with the union non-union battle. Uh, I, like I said, I have good friends on both sides of the aisle. Oh, I me too. From both. Me too. You know, I mean, I, I have a, I, I worked for a, a three years ago. I worked for a GC, uh, uh, the superintendent of GCs, to be exact, who was a relative of the governor of New York, of uh, the ex-governor Cuomo. And that man looked at me one day and he said, "Mr. G, I got to ask you a question. See, I, I used to shine my boots every day. Everybody knows me. I used to shine my boots every day." Uh-huh. And he says, uh, are you an ex-military man? And I said, uh, I reckon I was, uh, Joe. And he says, Mr. G, are you union? And I said, never been. I tried to get in, but you know, I missed my, 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 my calling. Uh, I missed the boat because of stupidity that I committed when I was younger. I said, but why do you ask me? He says, it's the way you carry yourself and the respect that everybody gives you. That made my day. But with that right. being said, the one thing I give union you know, is they have a very well-structured apprenticeship program. I will tell you this much, Bill. Out of 10 guys that I see on a job site, I can call out who's union, not only by the cockiness, but by the way they do things. Yep. I got to give union that, that much credit. You know, these are guys that pride themselves in quality workmanship. Yep. Whereas you get an electrician who has no formal education and he might have just seen how wires are pulled from one end of the room to the next end of the room or how a particular motor control uh, uh, panel is being put together. This guy may just follow the motions that he saw from you and me, yep. but he actually doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing. Yep. So that much I give union. See, union, in that sense, union has pretty much everybody else beat out. They have a structured format of teaching their soldiers how the battle is done and won. Okay, so so that much I give them. Yep. However, on the side of the non-unions, we also have programs out here by way of different technical vocational schools, community colleges and institutes that do train people properly and some of these brothers and sisters do bring a lot of talent to the forefront. I think it's yep. time to bury the hatchet and lay down the arms both on on both sides of this fight between union and non-union yep. because the fact of the matter is this, and, and, and I'm quite sure the Ryan Jacksons of the world, the Brian Rocks, the Dan Bunkers, and some of my brothers, Mark Lincoln, uh, if you're out there hearing me, you know, these brothers who had gave me an opportunity to become a well-known admin to the online learning community for electricians, as well as some of the people who've given me an opportunity to further develop as a tradesman, listen, man, at my age, I was supposed to be retired. Not many people want a guy 61 years old working alongside, you know, 20 something, 30 something electricians. Yet I have been fortunate enough to have gained the admiration and respect of my peers where at 61, I'm still 
working side by side with younger electricians at a competent level. Oh, yeah. So what I'm saying is it's time for both sides to lay down their arms, embrace themselves, because at the end of the day, this trade is crying out loud for new blood. Pretty soon, we are the guys who keep the lights going, who keep the power that supplies the networks of internet and POE systems and you name it, man. We keep the underground rails running. We, we're we the guys that keep this country lighted up. Well, and dude, I, we I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, one of the big things was that with the with the you know union non-union battle like i've never really battled them like the thing is they're like oh well you make less you make less you make less and it's like okay well you don't know everyone's comp uh compensation package or whatever it is you know so i think that's that's, that's, that's true, where yeah. my biggest complaint comes with them is that they're like Oh, well, I make $100 an hour on the package. Okay, cool. Well, I make $100 well, an hour on the package, and I get $39 an hour on the check. Well, I get $39 an hour on the check. Well, then how is that not the same? You know, so that's well, where we thing. get in this it, argument. No, here, here's the thing. I understand that, Bill. However, uh, you know, not to defend union guys and, and, and not non-unions. After all, uh, I, I am a, how would you say, I, I, I'm a bona fide member in good standing of the non-union side because i'm not union however i have a lot of respect local 777 just like me brother uh, here, here's the thing um what i must say for union guys you know or any union for that matter uh the battle of seeking fair wages is fought by the unity of a union okay and, and that's a plus on the other hand, I do agree with you. You know, there are some of us uh, tradesmen and individuals out here in any walk of life, you know, uh, based on our talent, based on our motivation, on our being proactive and how we pursue. Don't you dare say our, merit. Don't you dare say merit. Uh, no, I'm just well, kidding. <laughs> I, you know, we, we, we get paid based on our talent. And then again, right. you know, it behooves each and every one of us. See, I have a I have a particular starting wage that when I talk to a company, if, if that wage is not met or if that wage, uh, you know, when I go to a business meeting or a company that is contemplating hiring me either as a direct hire or as a temp for a short term, midterm or long term project. If the conversation gyrates or evolves mostly about, well, you know, we, we, we we're offering, if, that, if, if I just get up and go. See, yeah. I know my worth. So I agree. That, that's something that. I agree. That's, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a really good point. Know. Like, you have to know your worth. And you have to say, you know what, I'm worth this and, yes. uh, da, 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 and whatever. And yes, if yes. you're not willing to pay my I mean, worth, then I'm done. I'm out of here. Yes, yes. Prevailing wage is something that uh, has come to the forefront uh, in the vocabulary of many people, both on the hiring side and as well as and the, the guy that's trying to get hired. You know, we, we also have a lot of women who have come to this trade. And I'll tell you one thing. My well, brother, what we run uh, into a lot, what we run, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what we run into a lot that I notice is they're like, oh, okay, well, you're paid X amount of dollars because of the union. And prevailing wage is not set by the union. Prevailing wage is um, basically like a government survey of what the average wage of that skilled labor for that area is. So it's technically actually true. not true well, that well, it's well, set the by the union, but the whole thing is... My wage, I I am totally a hundred percent happy because if if I can say my wage is set by the union, I'm totally fine with it. But I feel it's set by my state license. I don't feel it's set by the. Oh, yeah, yeah, union. That, that that that's because okay, again, but see, you're dealing with two different dynamics now. See, you're dealing with the dynamic of your license and the worth that your license holds. Yep. By being an independent non-union guy. But the guys that are in the union, see, they have a collective bargaining agreement. They have to circumscribe to whatever 
collective bargaining agreement they came to terms with in terms of wages and other mm -hmm. benefits. Yep. Okay, the thing that the thing that I say that union brings as a positive to the trade as a whole is that they have been doing the battle and the representation of uh, tradesmen for years, where they know the business very well of, you know, how to go out there and fight for fair wages. That's yeah. what I'm saying, you know, and, and, and so we need unions. I'm not going to knock them completely, you know, that we need unions out here. I, I mean, I'm not a, a union guy, but I see what they do. And, and, you know, I have to acknowledge whatever positive they bring to the forefront. Now, yeah, and I would me, I right? would recommend to my apprentice to go join a union right now. But they want him to start from scratch. So he's oh, yeah, got, I like, that all the time. he's got like 2000 no, hours of of you know like whatever in IEC Rocky Mountain you know he's Listen, got when you when you when you take a look at uh, see Mr. G was funded by a couple of state programs because they saw that Mr. G had motivation talent and and, and was willing to pursue a trade because he was hungry you know and, and Dude and, and Mr. G is a straight ninja so whatever you say <laughs> about here, here, Mr. G I mean, Dude, you're you're in the ninja. You're in the ninja club. I'm gonna start doing a bunch of ninja interviews on here, and and you're probably you're gonna be one of the top ninjas in my circle, man. Thank you, thank you for that, Bill. Uh, yes, sir. The, the one thing I can say um, is, is this, and in terms of union versus non-union, right? One of the things that union brings to the forefront, and I think it it escapes many people. And again, that's not to knock off the high horse, the non-union side, because I think the non-union side has a lot of great pluses as well. Uh -huh. But when, uh, let's say, okay, when, when someone is trying to get a start, let's say here comes a young buck, uh, a young teenager, early 20s, whatever the case may be, and he comes from a poor working class family, such as Mr. G came from. That's why I always say, you know, I'm a Latino hillbilly, uh, you know, I'm a seven footer of a Latino hillbilly chopped in half, whose thirst for knowledge far exceeds my limitations. Love I was it. very limited in, 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 in my in my financial Hey, if, if there if there happens to be a meme that gets made about you, um that comes from me, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know. It just <laughs> it just happened. But it's gonna be cool and you'll like it. But anyway, um here's yeah. the thing, you know, the one thing that escapes a lot of people in terms of what union really brings to the forefront is when you have this poor kid, this poor aspiring kid from 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 the ghetto or from the countryside where, you know, opportunities are lacking, he doesn't have the finances. Where else will you find the opportunity to go to a technical vocational school, get educated in terms of the foundational uh, uh principles of a trade like electricity and you're getting paid while you're learning yeah see that's what union brings to the forefront i mean you go to technical vocational school and if you don't have the the, the, the the good fortune that mr g had where i was funded by the state of new york and the state of pennsylvania in order to go and get mechanical engineering and mechatronics education this young kid has no recourse other than yeah. becoming a, 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 a getting into debt by way of student loans, and then he might even get disenchanted in the process and even abandon the trade altogether. So, Whereas you so how much how much value would you say your dad calling you an idiot actually <laughs> was that like in the was that like in the millions of dollars? <laughs> no. Listen, man, I mean, <laughs> I've wasted a lot of money throughout my lifetime by mistakes I made when I was younger. Now my my finances are being eroded by way of my, uh, you know, the recovery that my son went through uh, last past years and now with my wife and her cancer. But how much impact did my old man make in me in terms of, uh, you know, making me the man who I am? Brother, I'll tell you uh, unequivocally. I would not be having this chat with you on this podcast. I had would I have never met the Dan Bunkers, Mark Lincolns, Matthew Hermansons, and Ryan Jacksons of the world had it not been for that man instilling in me uh, a love affair for this trade. My father always said, however small and mundane the task, either do it well or not at all. Nice.
And I love that. he also, he also said that there's something about my father that not many people know, only those that, you know, had the fortune of uh, living alongside us while my father was a small independent contractor in Puerto Rico. My father would always afford uh, somebody uh, the opportunity to come work at his shop, at his contracting firm. And my father would, you know, you could have no experience at all. You could have no talent. But if you showed my father that you had 10 pounds worth of motivation, my father would keep you. Yeah. And my father would have three jobs that he spaced out throughout the year where he donated the labor for these jobs uh, to, 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 to poor people of the community. And what my father would do was he would tell all of the employees, including his own children who worked for him, he would say, next week, remember, we have so-and-so project coming up. We're going to be an entire week working on this project. Nobody gets paid. And the reason nobody got paid did, is because Did the kids, father, like, act as, ask to see, like, their union package first? <laughs> no, no. Oh, my father right. was not uh, a union shop. I was just making sure. My, my, my dad, <laughs> I remember I confronted my dad one time. I must have been all of 22, 23 years old at the time. Uh, and I remember confronting my dad. Dude, that's when we were the why. fucking badasses, man. That's when we... That's well, when we're he, like freaking like the coolest dudes in the freaking planet when you're 21, 22, you know. Well, my biggest lesson at that age, and I confronted my father. My father looked at me and said, are you defying me with cockiness? And I said, no, Pops, I'm asking you, why do we have to work a week without a salary just because you want to donate labor to somebody poor in the community? And my father said, do you go wanting for food any any?" week of the year in my household you know do you go wanting for clothes or any of the essentials i said no my father said listen juan let me tell you something if you learn nothing more from me make sure you're going to learn this lesson and carry it with you throughout life and here's the lesson that he taught me and i have since carried that with me my father said juan be mindful that he who does not live to serve, to live does not deserve. Wow. So my father's tithing to the church and to the community was that my father saved three to four weeks throughout the year. I remember we would do one week for previous to Mother's Day, and he would go and remodel an, an, an old lady's kitchen free of charge. My father was uh, reserve a job that he would present he, uh, to, to, to the person that was chosen from the community for Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve. My father would do another job for Thanksgiving Day. And one job where the date was never mentioned because he would come out of the blue next week we're servicing so-and-so and so. He would make sure that he would serve the poor or the sick people from our community. If you go to my community in Puerto Rico, in, in, in a township called Adillo, Puerto Rico, and you ask on my father, even though that man is going senile right now, a lot of people will tell you that man was the leader to this community. There right. is a chapel built next door to my cousin's house, which was built by my father and his staff, which was composed by me, my brothers, and, and a couple of my uh, brother-in-laws. That chapel was built free of charge. We donated the labor. That chapel is still standing. And not only that, the funds that were used to cover the material costs for that chapel, the fundraising drive was organized and conducted by my dad. Wow. Dude, that's an amazing story. Um, I'm kind of coming up against a hard stop here. Um, but, uh, it, dude, it's great talking with you, and, and I really um love all this stuff uh, we gotta do like another episode um and you know like dude i mean you're one of you're one of the uh ninjas that i see in all the groups and and it's really awesome man you know to have this interview with you and talk with you and um i really appreciate you coming on my show man well bill thank you for having me it's an honor man and like i said you know i think uh you guys uh really make my day you know you guys 
think so highly of me. I think that, you know, most of you guys are galaxies away from me uh, in terms of knowledge, skill, you know. Uh, so for me to be considered uh, worthy enough to be amongst uh, the high-ranking members of this trade, man, that, that, that really humbles me. That awesome. really makes my day. Awesome, bro. Well, hey, I'll, I'll get you on the next episode, bro. Will do, man. Just give me a call and you know. And I had a daughter who went to Tulane, and she uh, runs a, a boys and girls club operation, and she called me, said, Dad, when are you going? What are you spending time talking to the governor of New York? Why aren't you not in Louisiana? <laughs> so we, I all, you all got to write a note for me that I'm down, all right? And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Why do big corporations continue to win while workers get shafted? It all comes down to power. Who has it and who doesn't? Big corporations have become so dominant that workers and consumers have fewer options and have to accept the wages and prices these giant corporations offer. This has become even worse now that thousands of small businesses have had to close as a result of the pandemic, while mammoth corporations are being bailed out. At the same time, worker bargaining power has declined as fewer workers are unionized, and technologies have made outsourcing easy, allowing corporations to get the labor they need for cheap. These two changes in bargaining power didn't happen by accident. As corporations have gained power, they've been able to gut anti-monopoly laws, allowing them to grow even more dominant. At the same time, Fewer workers have joined unions because corporations have undermined the nation's labor laws, and many state legislatures, under intense corporate lobbying, have enacted laws making it harder to form unions. Because of these deliberate power shifts, even before the pandemic, a steadily larger portion of corporate revenues have been siphoned off to profits and a shrinking portion allocated to wages. Once the economy tanked, the stock market retained much of its value while millions of workers lost jobs and the unemployment rate soared to Great Depression-era levels. To understand the current concentration of corporate power, we need to go back in time. In the late 19th century, corporate power was a central concern. Robber barons like John D. Rockefeller and Cornelius Vanderbilt amassed unprecedented wealth for themselves by crushing labor unions driving competitors out of business and making their employees work long hours in dangerous conditions for low wages. As wealth accumulated at the top, so too did power. Politicians of the era put corporate interests ahead of workers, even sending state militias to violently suppress striking workers. By 1890, public anger at the unchecked greed of the robber barons culminated in the creation of America's first anti-monopoly law the Sherman Antitrust Act. In the following years, antitrust enforcement waxed or waned depending on the administration office. But after 1980, it virtually disappeared. The new view was that large corporations produced economies of scale, which were good for consumers. And anything that was good for consumers was good for America. Power, the argument went, was no longer at issue. America's emerging corporate oligarchy used this faulty academic analysis to justify killing off antitrust. As the federal government all but abandoned antitrust enforcement in the 1980s, American industry grew more and more concentrated. The government green-lighted Wall Street's consolidation into five giant banks. It okayed airline mergers, bringing the total number of American carriers down from 12 in 1980 to just Four today. Three giant cable companies came to dominate broadband. A handful of drug companies control the pharmaceutical industry. Today, just five giant corporations preside over key high-tech platforms, together comprising more than a quarter of the value of the entire U.S. stock market. Facebook and Google are the first stops for many Americans seeking news. Apple dominates smartphones and laptop computers. Amazon is now the first stop for a third of all American consumers seeking to buy anything. The monopolies of yesteryear are back with a vengeance. 
Thanks to the abandonment of antitrust, we're now living in a new gilded age as consolidation has inflated corporate profits, suppressed worker pay, supercharged economic inequality, and stifled innovation. Meanwhile, big investors have made bundles of money off the growing concentration of American industry. Warren Buffett, one of America's wealthiest men, has been considered the conscience of American capitalism because he wants the rich to pay higher taxes. But Buffett has made his fortune by investing in monopolies that keep out competitors. The sky-high profits at Wall Street banks have come from their being too big to fail and their political power to keep regulators at bay. The high profits the four remaining airlines enjoyed before the pandemic came from inflated prices, overcrowded planes, overbooked flights, and weak unions. High profits of big tech have come from wanton invasions of personal privacy, the weaponizing of false information, and disproportionate power that prevents innovative startups from entering the market. If Buffett really wanted to be the conscience of American capitalism, he'd be a crusader for breaking up large concentrations of economic power and creating incentives for startups to enter the marketplace and increase competition. This mega concentration of American industry has also made the entire economy more fragile and susceptible to deep downturns. Even before the coronavirus, it was harder for newer firms to gain footholds. The rate at which new businesses formed had already been halved from the pace in 1980. And the coronavirus has exacerbated this trend even more, bringing new business formations to a standstill with no rescue plan in sight. And it's brought workers to their knees. There's no way an economy can fully recover unless working people have enough money in their pockets to spend. Consumer spending is two-thirds of this economy. Perhaps the worst consequence of monopolization is that as wealth accumulates at the top, so too does political power. These massive corporations provide significant campaign contributions. They have platoons of lobbyists and lawyers and directly employ many voters. So items they want included in legislation are inserted. Those they don't want are scrapped. They get tax cuts, tax loopholes, subsidies, bailouts, and regulatory exemptions. When the government is handing out money to stimulate the economy, these giant corporations are first in line. When they've gone so deep into debt to buy back their shares of stock that they might not be able to repay their creditors, what happens? They get bailed out. It's the same old story. The financial returns on their political investments are sky high. Take Amazon, the richest corporation in America. It paid nothing in federal taxes in 2018. Meanwhile, it held a national auction to extort billions of dollars in tax breaks and subsidies from cities eager to house its second headquarters. It also forced Seattle, its home headquarters, to back away from a tax on big corporations like Amazon to pay for homeless shelters for a growing population that can't afford the city's sky-high rents caused in part by Amazon. And throughout this pandemic, Amazon has raked in record profits thanks to its monopoly of online marketplaces, even as it refuses to provide its essential workers with robust paid sick leave and has fired multiple workers for speaking out against the company's safety issues. Surprise, surprise. The scales have been tipped in corporate America's favor. While corporations are monopolizing, power has shifted in exactly the opposite direction for workers. In the mid-1950s, 35% of all private sector workers in the United States were unionized. Today, 6.2% of them are. Since the 1980s, corporations have fought to bust unions and keep workers' wages low. They've campaigned against union votes warning workers that unions will make them less competitive and threaten their jobs. They fired workers who try to organize, a move that's illegal under the National Labor Relations Act, but happens all the time because the penalty for doing so is minor compared to the profits that come from discouraging unionization. Corporations have replaced striking workers with non-union workers. Under shareholder capitalism, striking workers often lose their jobs forever. You can guess the kind of chilling effect that has on workers' incentives to take a stand against poor working conditions. As a result of this power shift, workers have less choice of whom to work for. This also keeps their wages low. Corporations have imposed non-compete, anti-poaching, and mandatory arbitration agreements 
further narrowing workers' alternatives. Corporations have used their increased power to move jobs overseas if workers don't agree to pay cuts. In 1988, General Electric threatened to close a factory in Fort Wayne, Indiana that made electrical motors and to relocate it abroad unless workers agreed to a 12% pay cut. The Fort Wayne workers eventually agreed to the cut. One of the factory union leaders remarked, it used to be that companies had an allegiance to the worker and the country. Today, companies have an allegiance to the corporate shareholder, period. Meanwhile, as unions have shrunk, so too has their political power. In 2009, even with a Democratic president and Democrats in control of Congress, unions could not muster enough votes to enact a simple reform that would have made it easier for workplaces to unionize. All the while, corporations have been getting states to enact so-called right-to-work laws, barring unions from requiring dues from workers they represent. Since worker representation costs money, these laws effectively gut the unions by not requiring workers to pay dues. In 2018, the Supreme Court, in an opinion delivered by the court's five Republican appointees, extended right to work to public employees. This great shift in bargaining power from workers to corporate shareholders has created an increasingly angry working class, vulnerable to demagogues peddling authoritarianism, racism, and xenophobia. Trump took full advantage. All of this has pushed a larger portion of national income into profits and a lower portion into wages than at any time since World War II. That's true even during a severe downturn. For the last decade, most profits have been going into stock buybacks and higher executive pay rather than new investment. The declining share of total U.S. income going to the bottom 90% over the last four decades correlates directly with the decline in unionization. Most of the increasing value of the stock market has come directly out of the pockets of American workers. Shareholders have gained because workers stopped sharing the gains. So what can be done to restore bargaining power to workers and narrow the widening gap between corporate profits and wages? For one, make stock buybacks illegal, as they were before the Securities and Exchange Commission legalized them under Ronald Reagan. This would prevent corporate juggernauts from siphoning profits into buybacks and instead direct profits toward economic investment. Another solution, enact a national ban on right-to-work laws, thereby restoring power to unions and the workers they represent. Require greater worker representation on corporate boards, as Germany has done through its employee co-determination system. Perhaps most crucially, break up monopolies. Break up any bank that's too big to fail and expand the Federal Trade Commission's ability to fine monopolies and review and halt anti-competitive mergers. Designate large technology platforms as utilities whose prices are regulated in the public interest and require that services like Amazon Marketplace and Google Search be spun off from their respective companies. Above all, antitrust laws must stop mergers that harm workers, stifle competition, or result in unfair pricing. This is all about power. The good news is that rebalancing the power of workers and corporations can create an economy and a democracy that works for all, not just a privileged few. What do you think? Are you finding that you're paying more for less? How else are monopolies hurting the economy? Let us know in the comments. If you found this video informative, please also watch our video, The Monopolization of America. As always, thank you for watching, and please subscribe to our channel for more videos like this one. The Supreme Court is about to decide, do you have to pay union dues if your workplace is unionized? When I worked at CBS and ABC, I had to. I was told, this is a union shop, you must pay up. But now the court may say, for government workers, that's unconstitutional. So unions are nervous. If we lose this case, the entire public sector will be right to work. Right to work would mean unions could no longer force workers to join and pay dues. The union's values are all money. Teacher Rebecca Friedrichs filed a lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court because she says unions are bullies. If someone takes something from me, 
You understand why she says that when you listen to some union leaders speak. That guy is boss of the biggest teachers union. Rebecca got mad at her union during the last recession when she tried to save some teachers jobs by getting all the teachers to take a slight pay cut. They were willing to take a cut? Absolutely, we're willing to have that discussion. And all of America was taking a pay cut pretty much. Why should we be any different? But the union wouldn't even allow her to survey the other teachers. They said, absolutely not would not let me send out that survey. Then, angering her further, they told me, Rebecca, don't worry about those teachers who are going to lose their jobs. The union's going to take care of them. We're going to give them a seminar on how to get unemployment benefits. So Rebecca decided she no longer wanted to pay union dues. She sued the California Teachers Association, and after three years, the Supreme Court heard her case. This is so exciting. Voices were heard today. Union voices were heard too. They protested on the steps outside the court. Fight for equality. They were worried because Supreme Court watchers said Rebecca was likely to win. A case that has the potential to decimate the way that public sector unions function. But then, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has died. That was the most devastating day. Without Scalia's vote, the court deadlocked. That meant unions could continue forcing teachers to pay dues. It is a huge win for public sector unions. But now a new case filed by this government worker, Mark Janice, is about to be heard by the court. With Neil Gorsuch, the ninth justice, unions are so worried they even agreed to speak to me. Our members want their union. They want their union to have power. Steve Kreisberg represents the union that's being sued by Mark Janice. It's his right to dissent and not be a member of our union. He only has to pay the fees that are used to represent What's you. the point in that? If you have to pay, that's the main reason he doesn't want to join. He doesn't want to be forced to pay for something he doesn't agree with. Well, I'm not sure if he doesn't agree with it or if he just simply doesn't want to pay because he'd like to get those services for free. The union could say, we're bargaining for all you teachers. If you don't join the union, you're a free rider. I never asked for their representation. All right, but you're getting it and presumably benefiting. If I saw their representation as a benefit, then I could agree with that. But I don't see it as a benefit. Their benefits aren't worth the moral costs. To me, that sounds like the words of a right-wing activist, not the words of a teacher. Well, she was a teacher who got together with other teachers and said, let's take a pay cut so nobody has to get fired. And the union said, no, you may not even put that to a vote. They elected somebody else. So she has no more right to call a vote, then Hillary Clinton has the right to conduct foreign policy for the United States of America. Thomas Jefferson believed that to compel a man to contribute to propagation of opinions to which he disbelieves is sinful and tyrannical. Thomas Jefferson had no sense of 21st century labor relations. No, he probably didn't. Now the Supreme Court will decide. Oral arguments are scheduled for Monday. The court will announce its decision sometime this summer. I hope they'll see it the way Jefferson did. Forcing someone to pay for something they don't want is tyranny.